0: Well, happy Mother's Day to those moms who are listening today. We want to thank you for all that you do for everyone. Thank you for making space and room in your life for God to work. And we just want to let you know that you're seen and you're known. And thank you, too, to all the women who make space in their life for people, for their family and for God to really work. And that's what we wanna talk about today is creating God room. And amazing things happen when we make space and room for God to work in our life. And I've seen that in my own life, and particularly a number of years ago when we made a big move. As you may be aware, we are Canadian. We uh, were all born in Canada. Our family is all Canadian. But about 13 years ago, we made a big move to the United States. And people often wonder, how did you end up moving from London, Ontario, to Missouri? And uh, I can tell you, no Canadian gets up in the morning and says, hey, I want to move to Missouri, maybe Boca Raton or maybe San Diego, but certainly not Missouri. And it was because we saw God in the space in our life. And it was very happy at my job and was quite fulfilled in pastoring in London. And I saw this ad one day for a church in Missouri and I sent them just a quick email and said, hey, what are you looking for? There's something about that that tweaks my interest. I didn't apply, I didn't really send a resume and I actually heard nothing. And I thought, well, that's just must be that God doesn't want me there or that's just not for me. And actually once I sent it and thought, oh, that's Missouri, I don't really wanna move there. But then God began to create some space. I didn't hear much for a while, but then after a period of silence, I got an email response that said, hey, can we talk to you? And I found out that they had been really interested in another person as their potential pastor. And then as we were having some conversations, our heart was kind of warming towards that opportunity and some crazy kind of things happened. My wife in an unusual move had kind of bought for us some Extended auto warranty insurance, you know, you can get that in case your car breaks down and they're supposedly uh, to fix that and I got some information from that warranty place and I looked at the address and it was about 3001 uh, Mid Rivers Mall Drive, St. Peter's, Missouri, and the church that I was communicating with was 3998. Mid Rivers Mall Drive, St. Peter's, Missouri. Like, how does that happen? I mean, that's not like it's mail from Chicago or New York or L.A. or Miami. I mean, St. Peter's, Missouri, who had even heard of that? And then my wife was looking through some old letters. And she found a letter from a child evangelist who had visited her church where she was growing up many years ago in the 1970s. It was a letter from this guy who had been sharing, and she had talked with him, and the family had talked with him, and he sent a letter to them just saying he was praying for her and her family. And the letter was from Uncle Bill, and his address was St. Peter's, Missouri, that someone from the same town we had been talking to the church at had been praying for her for many, many years. And we went and we visited the church and we felt maybe God is calling us there but thought, is God calling us away from where we were? Because we were very happy where we were. We were quite settled. We had lots of supports, particularly for our daughter. She had an educational assistant in the Christian school she was at who happened to be a friend of ours. And that friend only had employment because she was working with our daughter. If we moved, it would disrupt that family. We weren't sure how our families would react. Uh, I really thought that I was at the church for life. And so we didn't know how do we disengage? Is God calling us away? So we said, let's pray and give God some room to work. Let's just pray and see what God does. Well, shortly after we prayed that prayer, all of a sudden, Jenna's EA called my wife and said, hey, can we talk? And in that conversation, she said, you know, I think there's better opportunities for Jenna. I think there's different kind of educational opportunities that she needs, and here's what she needs. I don't think I'm the right person anymore to be able to do that. And what she expressed she needed was exactly what was in the school we had visited when we were in St. Peter's, Missouri. And all of a sudden, that situation seemed to be resolved. I talked to a mentor of mine and uh, who had always said, hey, Terry, I think you're gonna be at the previous, for, for your whole life. I think that's what God has you there. And I began to share with him this opportunity in St. Peter's and he's like, I think God's calling you there. I think I said God's calling you there. Talk to another mentor. It was the same. We talked to our parents and it was like, all of a sudden they're going, no, I think we need to release you and let you go. And in that space of just giving God some room to work, God confirmed many things that was going on in our life. And I think one of the challenges we face is not doing things on our own and making things happen the way we want, but giving God some room to move. And either we give God space and room in our life to move, or our life becomes consumed by our idols. And that's what we're gonna see today as we continue in Esther. Esther chapter five, if you have your Bibles, I invite you to turn there. And in our story of Esther, we've seen how this young orphan, Esther, who is of Jewish descent, uh, eventually becomes the wife of Xerxes, the Persian king and she is there in the household, and she has been raised by her cousin Mordecai, uh, another Jew. And in the story, Mordecai and Haman and some others seem to be advisors or influencers as well of the king, but Haman rises in the ranks and becomes almost godlike in the culture, and he wants everyone to bow down to him and worship him and think that he is something, and everybody seems to do that except Mordecai, Esther's cousin. And Haman gets so upset with that. He's so offended. He wants to kill Mordecai. And then, knowing Mordecai is a Jew, he wants to kill all the Jewish people, wants to annihilate them in the Persian Empire. And so, an edict is made to do that. Well, Mordecai is mortified, and he thinks there's only one hope for us, and that hope is that Esther would advocate on our behalf. And he goes to Esther, tells her what's going on. And she's at first, I can't do that. I just can't approach the king. I can't tell him what's on my heart. Um, If I approach him without being asked, he could just take my head off. And besides, he hasn't even been with me, seen me for 30 days. And Mordecai encourager says, hey, Esther, this is your time. Maybe this is why God has you placed here to be able to spare your people. And Esther at the end of chapter four says, okay, if I die, I die, I'm gonna do this. She gathers the courage and in chapter five, she goes to the king and we see what happens here first when we give God room, we can give God room to work. And we see in verse one of chapter five, it says on the third day, Esther put on a royal robe, stood in the inner court of the king's palace, in front of the king's quarters. And while the king was sitting on the royal throne, inside the throne room, opposite to the entrance of the palace. And when the king saw Queen Esther standing in the court, she won favor in his sight. And he held out to Esther the golden scepter that was in his hand. And then Esther approached and touched the tip of the scepter. And the king said to her, what is it, Queen Esther? What's your request? It shall be given, even up to half my kingdom. What's your request? It shall be given you." And Esther said, "'If it please the king, let the king and Haman come today to a feast that I have prepared for the king.' And then the king said, "'Bring Haman quickly so that we may do what Esther has asked.' So the king and Haman came to the feast that Esther had prepared. And as they were drinking wine after the feast, the king said to Esther, "'What is your wish?' it shall be granted you. What's your request? Even up to half my kingdom it shall be fulfilled. And then Esther answered, well, my wish and my request is if I found favor in the sight of the king, and if it pleases the king to grant my wish and fulfill my request, let the king and Haman come to the feast that I will prepare for them, and tomorrow I will do as the king has said. And so here is Esther. Remember, she has been fasting and praying. She's asked everyone to fast and pray, and three days have passed. And on the third day, I often think it was that Jonah was in the whale, kind of in a period of a kind of death. And on the third day, the whale spit him up. Jesus in the grave. And on the third day, he came back to life. Esther's people under an order of death. And on the third day, she gathers courage and she goes to the king, she has dressed up. She's not just relying on her beauty, she is relying on her position, she is now walking as who she is. She stepped into this new identity of really being the queen. And you can kind of sense this drama. She's standing there at the back of the throne room and everything in the throne room was designed to point to the power of the king. There were tall pillars, these eight columns that was there. There were reliefs and pictures of the king fighting monsters and she's standing there not knowing how the king will respond. And so as the king sees her and they lock eyes, he could either say off with her head or he could invite her forward. And as Esther is there trembling, the king extends his scepter, she walks graciously towards him, touches the scepter out of a sign of respect, And the king says, hey, what do you want? I'll give you up to half my kingdom. Now, probably he wasn't this literal. This was probably an expression, hey, Esther, I'll give you what you want, but half the kingdom between Ethiopia and India, I mean, that's a huge amount. And Esther experiences this moment of grace. And friends, I often think that the Old Testament is really a picture book of what the principles of the New Testament are. And this is a principle about us and prayer, that we have a relationship with God. We can come to the God in prayer. We can come to the King out of grace. Esther hadn't done anything. She didn't even necessarily deserve to be there, but the King allowed her into his presence through grace. And Jesus does that. We can boldly go before the throne, the writer of Hebrews says, because of God's grace he invites us and he gives us anything and he opens up the storehouse of heaven for us and Esther here notice, she dresses up as a queen she understands who she is, her identity. And we approach the throne as followers of Jesus. We are now sons and daughters, princes and princesses of the King. And sometimes we forget that. We're so afraid and we're so sheepish. And we're like, I don't know if I can pray or if it's worth asking. And the writer of Hebrews says, we can boldly go before the throne of grace because of God's grace. And Esther here has an opportunity. I mean, Xerxes says you can have anything, like this is her moment. She could say, hey, spare my people, but she doesn't. She says, hey, come to dinner. I want you and Haman to come to dinner. Now, why would she say that? Why would she not step into the opportunity? It's because she knows what exposing the king and everything would do if she did that publicly. I mean, this was gonna be a private conversation. I think we learned some principles of just confrontation and sharing, that the sphere of conversation and speaking should be the sphere of the influence of the conversation, that her conversation was about the king and Haman. That was who had made the edict together. She didn't want to expose Haman or expose the king or expose herself as a Jewess in front of everybody else. She was respecting the king. She says, why don't you come and have dinner? And of course, this was a big deal for Haman because the men of Persia, they would like guard their wives and protect their wives, and particularly the kings, they would kind of seclude their wives. For Haman to have an audience, with the king and the queen to have dinner with them. I mean, this is big news. This is what you would uh, make selfies about and post on Instagram. And as they're having dinner together, you can imagine that maybe the king is getting a little frustrated with having Haman there. It's been 30 days or more since he and Esther had a conversation. Maybe he's saying, hey, I kind of wish Haman would kind of excuse himself and go to dinner. But he says again, hey Esther, let me give you anything. What is it? Up to half my kingdom. And you think this is her chance. This is her opportunity. Girl, you tell him what's going on, what Haman has done. And and she pauses and she looks and she says, if I've really found favor, which she has, that's God's grace and the kindness of others. If I found favor, let's do dinner again. Let's do dinner again. And like everything in you as a reader wants to go, Esther, why are you chickening out? How could you do that? Why did I gather some courage, Esther, and tell the king what is really going on? But I don't think it was that Esther was chickening out. She was giving God some room to work, God some space. She could do only some things. She could expose what was going on, but she alone couldn't change the king's heart. And remember, she fasted and prayed and listened, and she was giving God some room to work. And I love that phrase, God room. See, first of all, in Franklin Graham's biography called Rebel with a Cause, he talks about a meeting with Bob Pierce, who was the, the head of World Vision for a long time, talking about God room. And as he talks about God room, he describes it or defines it kind of this way. God room is when you've seen a need, you believe God wants you to meet. You try, but you can't. And after you've exhausted all your human effort, there's still a gap. And no matter what you do, you just can't humanly bring it about. That's when you pray and leave room for God to work and you watch God close the gap. And that God-room is what happens in business, or ministry, or an opportunity, where you do what you can, and you work hard, and you provide what you want to, but there's still a gap that you just can't do. Maybe it's the change of a heart. Maybe it's your own change. Maybe it's a supernatural thing. And you need God to work, and God has room to show off and to show himself. And this, I think, is what Esther was doing. She could expose the plot against the Jews. She could tell the king what was happening, But she alone, she can't change Xerxes' heart. She can't change what his edict has been. She can't force him into a decision. Only God can. And you see, in order for something to change, Xerxes was going to have to become more frustrated with Haman and more sympathetic to Mordecai. Because right now, Haman had won the sympathy of the king, and Mordecai was the enemy, and that whole had to change. And Esther here was going to give God some room to move. And I see this in my life. I've seen this in in that move uh, to St. Louis. God had move and room to be able to change hearts and to change us. Sometimes we need space for God to change who we are and what we think and our own motives and intentions. Sometimes we need God room to show us what's really going on. I've been in situations where I think something spiritually isn't right. This is not a great situation, but have you ever had that? You just can't put your finger on it. And I pray light into those situations. Pray the light of Christ. Jesus, would you reveal, give God some room to move. And all of a sudden God reveals motives and intentions and shows you what's wrong. Now, it's tricky thing because God room isn't saying, oh, we don't have to do anything. It's not avoidance or neglecting what we do. God room is a combination of faithfulness on our part and a spiritual sensitivity that we still have to do what we do but we have to trust and listen to God and to know when to wait and know when to act. And remember, I think last week we said this period of fasting and prayer at the end of chapter four, it changes everything. And this is not Esther just willy-nilly doing what she wants to do, that she's listened. I think she knows and is in step. God room means that we listen to the Spirit, we follow Him, know His promptings. And so as we share communion in a few moments, I just invite you to just be thinking even now, where does God need some room to work in your life? Where is there something you've done everything you can, or maybe you need to do one more thing and then let God work? Where is the space in your life? Maybe you've trying to manipulate everything instead of giving God some room to work. You see, as Esther gives God some room, God begins to work and reveal more in Mordecai and reveal the idols that he has. You see, we can make room for God to work in our life or we can become consumed with our idols. And this is what happens, that Mordecai becomes consumed kind of with what he idolizes. In verse nine it says, "'And Haman went out that day joyful and glad of heart, But when Haman saw Mordecai in the king's gate, that he neither rose nor trembled before him, he was filled with wrath against Mordecai. Nevertheless, Haman restrained himself and went home, and he sent and brought his friends and his wife Zeresh. And Haman recounted to them the splendor of the riches, the number of sons, all the promotions with which the king had honored him, and how he advanced above all the officials and servants of the king. Then Haman said, Even Queen Esther, let no one but me come with the king to the feast she prepared. And tomorrow also, I'm invited by her together with the king. Yet all this, notice, is worth nothing to me so long as I see Mordecai the Jew sitting in the king's gate. And then his wife Zeresh and all his friends said to him, let the gallows, 50 cubits high, be made. And in the morning, tell the king to have Mordecai hanged upon it and then go joyfully with the king to the feast. And this idea pleased Haman, and he had the gallows made. I mean, they were working overtime at night to get that gallows made. And so here is Haman. I mean, he's had the best day of his life. He's just been with the king. He's been honored with everything. He's got all the riches and gifts that he could have. And, but as he goes home, he gets so frustrated because everybody else is bowing down before him but Mordecai. And all he can think of is Mordecai. And here, friends, we're reminded again, all the good gifts God has given us, all the gratitude we have, we we focus not on what God has done, but on the one thing we don't have, the one negative thing in our life. It's why a gratitude journal is so important, marking down things that we're grateful for, keeping a focus on gratitude. But here is Haman. He's so focused on Mordecai. Why? It's because what we idolize leads us to demonize what prevents that. John um, Whitfield said this, that if you idolize, you will demonize. Whatever becomes an idol in your life, you will demonize anything that doesn't support that, doesn't lift that up. And Haman had created an idol of what? Himself, his pride, his ability, his position. He had come, what, to idolize himself. I'm almost like God. And when you idolize something, then you demonize whatever it is that hinders or comes against it. It's a great way to know what the real idols are in our life. Right? If you idolize money, then you demonize anything that prevents you or takes away your money, or prevents you from making it. If you idolize uh, sports, then anything that kind of goes against your team, you demonize. If you idolize a certain thing in your life, whenever anybody speaks against it, you demonize them. But If we idolize God, if God is God, then we demonize the, anything and the true things that supplant God and work against God and come against him. And we see all the things that Mordecai idolized. He idolized money, he idolized power, he idolized position. He wanted more, and and now something was coming against it. And he focused on Mordecai. It's Mordecai's the problem. If I can just get rid of Mordecai, and and notice his wife comes to his defense, because I think she was probably so frustrated right, of Haman talking about this Mordecai. It's like, just deal with him, Haman. Have a gallows built, 75 feet tall is what it is. You think like seven stories. I mean, it's almost like too big. You measure, how do they get a crane? How do they get something that big and have Haman hang on it? Probably not with a noose, but uh, but kind of just pierced on it or uh, impaled upon it. And here Mordecai, or Haman says, I'm gonna do that. Now the reality is Mordecai was not Haman's problem. Mordecai wasn't the problem. The idols of his heart were the problem. He had no room for God in his life. His idols were the problem. And friends, sometimes we think someone else is our problem or an issue is the problem and the Spirit of God wants to say, no, no, no. There's no room for God in your life. Your idols are your problem. And Haman says, I'm going to do that. Tomorrow morning, I'm going to go to the king. I'm going to tell him everything. We're going to get rid of uh, Mordecai. And it looks bleak, right? We start the chapter with like the courage of Esther. And the king invites her in. And it's like, she's got opportunities to share. And it looks so good. And at the end of the chapter, at the end of chapter 5, it's worse than chapter 4. Because now it's the next day. And you think, well, maybe... Esther blew it. Esther, why did you wait? If you had have acted, but she was giving God some room to work. And in those next 12 hours, God begins to work in an incredible way. And friends, do you let God have room in your life to work? In a moment, we're gonna share communion. And as we do, I just invite you just, just to reflect a kind of couple things. Have you experienced the grace of Jesus? Like we can approach the king, we can approach God with grace because of what Jesus has done. He's prepared the way. God extends his scepter to us. Are there idols that are just filling your life? Is there no room for God because there's an idol of something else? And you know what that idol is because at any time something comes against it or prevents you from experiencing that, you get mad, you demonize that. And is there a place where God needs to make room? Is there a place you need to stop and let God have room in your life. Let's pray together. Our Lord, we just gather, and we thank you for the grace of Jesus. We thank you that when we know Jesus, we're a son and a daughter, that we can approach you with grace, that we can approach you in the identity, that we are are children of the King, that we are new creations. We are valued in our sight. We are your workmanship. And Father, I just pray that you would reveal, as we share communion, any idols that's there, anything that's filling our life without you. And Father, that we would just trust you with some things and we would pray and wait and give you some room to work. In Jesus' name, amen. God bless you.